The first reading today is from Proverbs chapter 8, the first 11 verses and then 22 to 29. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all humanity. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. And now from Job chapter 28. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth, and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes, is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. 
It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it, and he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this poem about wisdom. And I pray that you would teach us this morning, teach us your truth, transform our hearts and minds to be more like Jesus. Amen. This is one of those readings, I had to look up how to say lapis lazuli, because it comes up twice, and (laughs) I had to look up what it was as well. Anyway, if you have been reading Job alongside our preaching series, and I hope some of you have, if you haven't, you still have time before the end of August, it's well worth it. But if you have been reading it, you'll know that chapter 28 is kind of like a welcome change to the arguments that are happening throughout. Job, it's a lot, it's a lot of speeches. In rounds one and two of Job's argument with his friends, they speak, well, they don't really speak to each other, do they? They're more kind of speaking at each other for many, many chapters. In chapter 19 and chapters 22 to 31, Job does a bit of a summing up speech. Then Elihu has four speeches. Then God speaks out of the storm, chapter 38, verse 1, hence the name of the series. But in the middle there, we have this chapter, chapter 28. It's unclear if it's spoken by Job or if it was added by the book's writer. It doesn't really matter. The point is that it's different. It's not addressed to any of the characters. It is less passionate and it's more reflective and quiet. Christopher Ash calls it a tranquil, contemplative pause for thought. Now, I wonder what the most valuable thing in your life is. And I do mean thing, a possession or an item. The thing that you'd run back into your burning house for. Any ideas? I said it has to be a thing. (laughs) People are excluded from this. It has to be a possession. Your most valuable possession. Any? Your spectacles, very sensible, Willie. Very sensible. For me, I think one of the most precious objects in our house is this Bible. But before you're grown, it's not because it's a Bible. I'm fairly sure that if our house burned down, I would be able to replace my Bibles. But this Bible is irreplaceable. This was given to me on the day of my baptism. And my father wrote inside the front cover, Welcome to the Family, which is lovely. And then he wrote again in it, ten years later, 
almost to the day when I decided for myself to follow Jesus. I used it as my Bible for many years, but it's kind of stuck together with sellotape now, the box, and it started to get a bit dog-eared and started to fall apart. So rather than have something so special fall apart on me, I bought a new Bible and put this one somewhere safe. And it's probably one of the few things in our house that's genuinely irreplaceable. And it's irreplaceable not because it's a Bible, but because of what it means, because of what my dad wrote inside. This poem we have in Job chapter 28 is about the most valuable thing in the world. And it begins with a parable, a parable about mining for jewels and precious metals. Now, mining is probably one of the most dangerous things that we humans do. There's the constant risk of collapse from the mine tunnels and the shafts. You will note we've had, uh, in recent years, a couple of stories of people being trapped in mines. Although the boys weren't mining, were they? They were going for a swim or something. Down in the dark, you are very far from help. Was it 60 days or something for the Chilean miners to be rescued? You're a very long way away from help. And it involves long, hard labor. Verses 3 and 4 of our reading paint uh, quite the picture. People search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft. In places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. Sounds like the shafts he's talking about go sort of straight down rather than in. And the poem describes things that are hard to find because they're far away. They're deep down. They're in darkness. If you've ever been to a mine or to a cave deep underground, you'll know there is literally no light. Your eyes don't adjust to the darkness because light cannot penetrate that far down. You can put your hand right here and not see it. Mines are isolated. They are deep. They are dark. Verse 5, they are hot. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. The further down you go, the, the hotter it gets. It's dangerous down there, and the work is hard. Verse 9, people assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. On the South Island of New Zealand, there is a tunnel, the Homer Tunnel, and it's three quarters of a mile long. It's quite a long tunnel. It took 18 years to complete because it was dug by hand through granite. The guidebook says, and I quote, progress was slow. (laughs) I'm sure it was. These days, it's much easier. Do you remember when the Channel Tunnel was dug? The tunnel boring machines, they are colossal. They twist and they don't stop, basically. It's a lot easier than doing it by hand. The first part of this poem, verses 1 to 11, is is almost like a praise of human technology, human effort, human endeavor, dedication to a seemingly impossible task. Only humans do such an insane thing as tunneling through solid granite. Birds and beasts don't do it. No bird of prey, no falcon, proud beasts and lions. They don't do stuff like this. Why do we do such a crazy thing? For the precious and useful things we find down there. Verse 1, silver and gold. Verse 2, iron and copper. Verse 6, lapis lazuli and gold again. Treasures in verse 10, onyx, verse 16, jasper and rubies, verse 18, topaz, verse 19. These are valuable things which are hard to find. 
In verse 5, you may have spotted, mining is compared to agriculture. Agriculture is not easy. Those of you who have allotments will know it's not easy to grow stuff. But compared to mining, it's a doddle. These valuable things are found deep underground where they are hidden. And it takes a lot of effort to uncover them, to find them. But the search is worth it because of the value people place on these precious things that can only be found deep, deep down. But what if the thing we're searching for isn't there? Before you all go home and start digging holes in your garden or in the street for some of these things, I'm pretty confident that none of those are under Birmingham. I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty sure, so please don't start digging holes. Now, a few weeks ago, I was trying to find my church keys. They're normally attached to me like this on a thing, so it's easy for me to open up the doors in church. And I couldn't find them at home. I was searching high and low. They were nowhere to be found. The reason they were nowhere to be found was because they were in the lounge, having fallen out of my pocket earlier that day. All that effort searching was completely wasted. It was about an hour of me trying to find these keys. They simply weren't there. And that's where the poem goes next in these next verses. Verse 12. Better than gold is wisdom, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? The poet says, look how amazing human beings are. Look at what we can do. Digging right down into the depths of the earth, searching for and finding all sorts of precious and useful things. We are so much cleverer than those dumb birds and animals who don't do anything like that. And of course we are. But there are some things which cannot be found. No matter how hard we look, no matter how much technology we invent. Verse 13. It cannot be found in the land of the living. That's wisdom. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold. Verse 21. It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing. Even death and destruction say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. Cannot be found. So what is this wisdom that cannot be found in the land of the living, that even death and destruction have only heard a rumor of? Some of you may recognize our rotor. It's a little app that I wrote which takes the people bit of church suite and it mixes it with some Bible verses and mashes them together to make our rotor. The source code, has about 5,000 lines of it that makes the page. If you want to know how the app works, you have to read all that source code. Then there's this famous scene from The Matrix. The main character, Neo, is suddenly able to decode The Matrix to see not only what it looks like, but the bits and bytes that go up to making the computer program. He sees how it works. He unlocks its secret. He understands, and that enables him to do amazing things. See, wisdom, with a capital W, is a bit like the source code of the universe. Wisdom is the understanding of how the world works. Not only physically, it's not some equation that describes the theory of everything, but morally and spiritually as well. Christopher Ashe calls it the fundamental underlying order 
according to which the universe is constructed. That's what that poem from Proverbs 8 that Susan read was getting at. Fundamental underlying order according to which the universe is constructed. But wisdom is more than the source code for the universe. It doesn't only explain how things fit together, but why. Now we start to understand the point and purpose of this poem in Job. Like so many of us, he longs to know why. He sees a world that, on the one hand, seems so beautiful and ordered, but on the other side is cruel and chaotic. And he doesn't understand. What he longs for is wisdom, with a capital W, so he can know why. No wonder this poem says that wisdom is beyond compare. Verse 15 says, It cannot be bought with the finest gold. You cannot weigh out enough silver to purchase wisdom. Precious stones, verse 16, gold, onyx, lapis lazuli, crystals, jewels, coral, jasper, rubies, none of those things can buy wisdom. Not only that, wisdom is beyond compare. They might be beautiful and shiny, but wisdom is beyond compare to those. Our best technology, our most persistent and dedicated search, none of those things can find wisdom. The most precious things we can find cannot buy wisdom. Wisdom contains all the answers to all of our questions. It is priceless. It is utterly beyond compare and totally out of reach. Job wants to read that source code so he can understand why he is suffering like he is. And he's right to want that. Of course he is. He's driven by his pain, his desperation for answers. No one longs for answers more than the suffering believer. But his search is doomed. Job must search, and yet he will not find wisdom. We can't find it. We can't buy it. We still try, but we will never succeed. Now, many of you will know that Jess likes to bake Almost all of you have probably eaten something that she's baked. When she's at home and not studying, she's usually baking. And often I will wander into the kitchen and find her creating something. And often every single surface has something on it. She does pack away afterwards. <laughs> she would be keen for me to tell you. There's flour, there's icing, there's mixers, there's piping bags and trays everywhere. Sometimes I can work out what she's baking. Most of the time I can't. Usually I have to ask... Why are you baking today? What I really mean, though, of course, is, will there be any for me? <laughs> now, with the right equipment, I might be able to figure out from what she's made what she used to make it. I mean, I could probably make an educated guess to do with some, maybe some flour, maybe some eggs and butter. I don't know what else goes in cakes. I might be able to work out how much of each ingredient has gone into the cake. I may even be able to tell how long she baked it for. But without her... I wouldn't be able to tell you why she baked it. The poem in chapter 28 reaches a crescendo. Verse 20, where then 
does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed from the birds of the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. It's impossible. We might as well give up. But of course, that's not the last verse of the poem, is it? Turns out we're searching for the wrong thing. Verse 23, God knows the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. The book of Job doesn't give us an answer. It gives us God. God who does know and understand where wisdom is. Because he sees all things from beginning to end. And not only the big stuff like creation and the coming of Jesus and the birth of the church and, you know, the day I was baptized... (laughs) He sees all things. He also sees the little things. The things in our lives out there. The things in our hearts. He sees it all. He knows. He knows and he understands why. We are given the merest of glimpses. God sees the whole picture of which we see but a tiny part And he invites us to trust in him. Verse 28. Are you listening to what God says to us all? And God said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. You may recognize those words. They're used to describe Job himself in chapters 1 and 2. The narrator uses them of Job, and God himself uses them of Job twice. But this verse is crucial to the whole book, for it's addressed not only to Job, but to all of us. He said to the human race. Pretty sure that includes you. Some of you are not so sure. (laughs) As God speaks, he directs our attention away from our questions and our searching and towards himself. Although we cannot know wisdom with a capital W, we can be wise, like Job, which means fearing God. It's not about being afraid, but having a healthy amount of awe and wonder before the living and almighty God. It means listening humbly to all he says to us. Although we cannot understand the inner workings of the world or why things are as they are, we can understand and trust that God's way is best, turning away from evil and living life the way the author of life calls us to. Living his way, not doing it my way. But there is more as well. Paul wrote these words, My goal is that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's a wonderful joining of that you may know and are hidden in Christ. Things that are revealed that are hidden. In Christ, we have wisdom and knowledge. See, mining for gold will find something that is precious. But if you want something priceless, you need Jesus. Crying out for answers to the suffering you face is natural and normal. But if you want peace, you need Jesus, not answers. You can mask the pain with self-help techniques and distractions. 
You can indulge your desires and always get more. But if you want to find true life, you need Jesus. You need to deny yourself and follow him. God alone knows where wisdom dwells. When we ask him to tell us, he doesn't. But he gives us Jesus. And he invites us to trust him. It's easy to say, isn't it? In the middle of the storm, can we trust the one who calmed the wind and the waves with a word? In the middle of raging doubt or searing pain, can we trust the one who said, do not be afraid, only believe? In the middle of this life with all its confusion and mess, can we trust the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life? The book of Job, in fact, the whole of Scripture, it does answer our questions about these things, not as we might want, but as we need. God alone knows where wisdom dwells. God alone knows where wisdom dwells, which means it's not for us to know however much we might want to. Instead, God gives us his one and only son, Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if we seek him, we will find him. Or rather, he will find us. The answer God gives to all our questions is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he invites us to trust in him. So the question is, will we?